I'm Donna. And I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Sinister Sightings 171. And you just heard no intro. No one. Silence. Dead air. <laughs> just kidding. Kind of. Hey, uh, you know, if you haven't sent in your intro, send it in. Please, please, please. And if you want to introduce an episode, head on over to patreon.com slash the APC podcast. And show them how it's done. I mean, get you some sound effects or just say, hey, you're listening to. It ain't got to be fancy. Hey y'all, it's your girl Molly. To start off, thank you to whoever messaged me back on Facebook. You totally made my day. It was Donna. <laughs> y'all remember she she part time podcast. Mm-hmm. Well, she was full time, but uh, you know, now she's part time. Yeah, bills and all. <laughs> full time in my heart. <laughs> I just wanted to give y'all an update on the whole grave situation. We did end up going back down Crazy Woman Canyon. I saw the grave and had my relatives stop. Instead of me going up to visit it, my relatives followed me because they wanted to see it for themselves. I got some flowers for the person and laid them down nicely below the cross. I also took some pictures, which I'll put below. Nothing really paranormal happened until I placed my hand on the rocks below the cross and had an overwhelming, peaceful feeling. Definitely an experience I will always remember. Oh my goodness, another small story I would like to add here. For context for listeners, I messaged Donna and Carrie's Facebook page for APC on July 2nd, wondering how to send in a story. I figured out not long after that and completely forgot about it. I woke up yesterday morning to them actually answering my question. I thought I was dreaming being I was half asleep, but checked later that day and when I saw that I had in fact talked to my idols, cue another fangirl moment. I was so excited about you guys messaging me. I was telling my mom about it and reading her our short but sweet conversation. Right as I finished, a spatula on the counter flies onto the ground. It couldn't have been any of us because we were standing away from the counter. We stared at each other for 30 seconds wondering what the fuck was going on. That's all I have right now. I'm trying to convince my mom to write out her experiences at the Stanley Hotel. That includes touching, knocking, and even a picture of two ghosts dancing that she captured. I will definitely send when she does so. Love you girls lots. Creep it real and don't get scared. Molly. Well, a spatula would make sense because I'd be like, feed me. Oh, ma'am. I'm just saying. It wouldn't be me making the food. I promise you that. Because, uh... I do takeout. I mean, say, remember those bills, bills, bills we were talking about? (laughs) It's to go, to go, to go. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) The next one. Hey, ladies, I am almost all caught up with your episodes and super sad as you've been my constant companions in my downtime or while I'm doing homework. I am 30 plus years old with a family and just now going back to school for veterinary medicine. Get it, girl. I've thought about sending this story to you for a while and thought I will as it's probably not long enough for one of Carrie's stories. And I do have a personal connection with this one and would like to remain anonymous for this as I will end up saying things that may not necessarily be in the news reports. On January 25th, 2017, in Seymour, Missouri, a trucker for Prime Trucking Company named Adam Housley, who was 33 years old at the time, was heading westbound on Highway 60 towards Springfield, Missouri, assuming he was heading back to Prime Company location. There are two stoplights on this highway in this town. An eyewitness states that he ran the first red light by 500 feet. As he was approaching the second light in the right lane, which was a red light with another semi-truck with another small pickup truck stopped behind it at a complete stop. 
Adam did not stop or hit the brakes and hit the small pickup truck, crushing it into the semi in front of it. I'm assuming he was going the full speed limit of 60 miles per hour. I could not find his actual speed in the news reports. Inside the small pickup were two people, 48-year-old Tisha Briggs and 47-year-old Leo Walker from West Plains, Missouri. If I remember correctly, they also had a dog with them. They were engaged to be married, and they were pronounced dead at the scene. When the highway patrol arrived, Adam was acting and saying bizarre things. He was resisting the officers at first and stated, God told me to do it, and it's my destiny. What the hell? He was on his cell phone while driving, arguing with one of his parents. I can't remember if it was his mom or dad both of which he has a toxic relationship with. He told one of them before he caused the accident that he was feeling homicidal. He also has a history of mental illnesses that he was receiving medication for on and off. The prosecutor for the case has been quoted saying he made statements to family indicating he has been homicidal. Defendant's acts show a disregard for human life and in no way reflected that his acts were accidental. Adam was in county jail pending murder charges and was moved to a state psychiatric hospital for evaluation to deem him sane or not. He was going for the insanity plea. After two years of legal stuff, he was found by experts that he was having a psychotic episode during the crash and offered a plea bargain of involuntary manslaughter. So he pled guilty, taking the bargain, and was sentenced to five years probation and 500 hours community service. What? He still has his driver's license, but not for semis. He can go live his life while the victims are no longer here with their families who love them deeply. This case is tragic all around. I'm so sad for the families of the victims. I hope you like this story, and I'm interested in your opinion. There are several news articles out there about this case. I'm local to the area, and for a long time, I would have panic attacks being stopped at those lights when semis or any bigger vehicles were coming up behind me. Even to this day, I get scared or all wrapped up in my head about it. When in the wrong hands, semis are weapons on the road and scare the shit out of me, Because those driving will almost always walk away while we do not. I'll stop rambling about my personal fears of the road and wrap this up. Thank you so much for all you lovely ladies do. I love y'all and listening to you brings me so much joy and brings out my old southern accent too. I'm hoping it'll rub off on my husband and he'll start talking in Mississippi again. Him and his whole family are from Mississippi. Keep on creeping it real and sometimes it's okay to get scared anonymous. I'm surprised that he got manslaughter. That he just got probation. What? That he still has his license, even just to drive, because that doesn't say, oh, you can only drive like those smart cars that are tiny. You know what I mean? He could still drive a huge truck. Well, and I'm wondering, too, like, was there not video footage of the accident? Because usually those 18-wheelers have, like, the cameras, the... Yeah. Because I feel like that would really show, hey, he, you know, he did this on purpose or right. whatnot. But I guess they're saying on purpose or not, he was in a psychotic break. Right. That's a, as far as like being terrified of the semis and all, that's the good thing is that they have so many people like pulling out in front of them and doing stuff like this so dangerous to them that they're going to protect themselves and they're usually going to have that camera footage. Yeah. 
I've always been super scared of going just like close to a semi on the highway. And I was like, in a previous life, I swear I was killed in a car accident with a semi truck because I will just like try to like crawl into myself passing one. I mean, there's been times where I'm like, Lee, this is close. But for the most part, I'm like, man, I guess I I trust them. I trust their driving abilities, you know? Yeah. I I don't know. I think it's just like the size. I do not like being in between, like being in the middle and there's two on either side. Or like one in front of you and one beside you. Yeah. Mm -mm, Don't like that. Yeah. I just usually trust that they've, I mean, and now I understand the person who wrote in not trusted, but like that's an outlier, you know, usually, I mean, that's their career. That's their livelihood. That's their how they feed their family, you know, so they're going to be safe for the most part. It's these other yahoos you got to worry about. Yes. Like Donna. Ah, uh, I usually have Marbu in the car with me and I won't go too wild with that. Uh, I've seen her skiing back there. <laughs> we call it surfing. Okay. Okay. The next one. Three ghost stories. Hello, beautiful people. The beautiful people. The beautiful people. Ba-da-na. But not that toxic, uh, problematic one. I was like, he's terrible, okay? Every time I hear that, I'm like... I wish y'all could see her dance. (laughs) Stop! Okay, that was a sinister sighting. Go ahead. (laughs) I have been voraciously consuming your episodes, and they keep me going on my long work commutes. I had a little time this week and thought I'd give instead of take for once. Ghosts seem to avoid me for the most part, but I'm close with a few people who aren't so lucky. Question mark? Two are personal experiences, and one is from a close friend, so I can vouch for at least two of them being 100% true. I'm a native of Long Island, New York, which, as you may know, has been settled for a long time and has a lot of little old towns, especially in the eastern end of the island. We even have some Revolutionary War history. At the time of this story, I was seeing a guy from the local area, and one night he took me to a bar called the Checkmate Inn in Setucket. Because some friends of his worked there, and it was supposed to be this cool old local spot with a few interesting stories. It used to be a private home and sits on a barely lit single lane road winding through rows of tall trees. It actually still looks like an old house and even has a cellar where they store the alcohol. The second story has been converted into a couple apartments above the bar area and staff sometimes rents them out. Across the street from the checkmate is the Thompson House an old wooden structure that was built in 1709 and belonged to a doctor during the Revolutionary War. It's now a museum of colonial medicine. We got there before the big rush of customers showed up, so we were able to talk with one of his buddies who tended bar that evening. Somehow the subject of ghost stories came up. My date's buddy told me that he rented one of the upstairs apartments and had some weird experiences there. There had been a few nights where he'd woken up around 3 a.m. to see a shadow standing on the opposite side of his bedroom, or being alone in the apartment at night and hearing footsteps passing through the other rooms, having beer bottles suddenly slide off the kitchen table and crash onto the floor, or witnessing his bedroom curtains wave wildly as if blown by a strong wind, only to find that the windows were closed and locked. One night, he woke up in the darkness to see an old man leaning over his bed, looking furiously angry. Thinking someone had broken in, he yelled at the man and sat up, but in that moment, the man vanished. His brother, who worked at the bar and rented one of the apartments before him as well, reported seeing not only the shadowy figure of an old man, but also seeing what appeared to be a young woman in a pale dress in his bedroom at night, though he was never able to get a good look at her face. 
Apparently, the brother's girlfriend had been staying there with him overnight a few times and had seen the woman as well. The bartender had worked at the checkmate for about a year at the time, and while he no longer rented an apartment there, he continued to have strange things happen on the job. The most active part of the building was the old cellar. He said it was very dark and cool down there, and several times he'd gone down there to grab another keg of beer or bottles of liquor and had bottles flung at him while he was the only one down there. He'd also been pushed on the stairs while carrying bottles once. His co-workers also told stories of having uneasy feelings in the cellar and having kegs roll across the room suddenly or have bottles thrown at them. When they went to confront whoever was on shift with them at the time, they were always in another part of the building and denied playing jokes. He wasn't sure about the history of the house or whether anyone had died there, though. The home is from the mid-1800s, so I'm sure it had many owners over the years. Well, I love ghost stories, and so did my date, so we didn't find them scary so much as thought-provoking and entertaining. We enjoyed the rest of our night and went to leave at about 2.30 in the morning. Most of the patrons had left at that point, with just two or three stragglers hanging out on the back deck. We each had driven ourselves to the bar, and I'd parked on the side of the road in the front of the old Thompson house. We stood in the front of the house talking for several minutes and then shared a long kiss. Suddenly, both of us were startled by a very loud thump right next to us. We pulled apart, and I started looking for what could have made that noise. A few feet away, rolling towards the road, was a huge rock, almost the size of a cantaloupe. I was trying to be brave and pick it up. It must have weighed five or six pounds. I was pissed, thinking that one of his friends at the bar had thrown it at us with an incredible, mean, and unfunny joke. No one was around, and as we had been standing around for a while, we would have seen anybody crossing the road. The checkmate is about 100 yards from the back of the road, and then off to the side is the patio. If someone had thrown it from across the street, they would have been the shot-put champ to hurdle a six-pound rock almost 200 yards. And even then, why was the rock bouncing quickly towards the road? None of the few remaining bar patrons had moved from their seats, and no one was up or moving around on the other side of the road. It looked as if it had been thrown from the direction of the dark woods surrounding the Thompson house. I walked around the property expecting to find someone hiding in the bushes. I didn't hear or see anything. Neither of us had seen or heard anyone walking around. It was a still night on a quiet road. Unable to come up with an explanation, we were both pretty freaked out and decided that was our cue to leave. Something around there was clearly not happy with PDA. I've no longer seen that guy and haven't been back there since. But one day, when the COVID lockdown is over, I'd like to go back and see if any other current bar staff have any new stories to tell. Sorry for the length of that last one. My second one is much shorter. I now live in Northern Virginia, and as it happens so, the Gettysburg Battlefield is only about an hour and a half drive from here. If you've ever heard the stories, the battlegrounds and surrounding neighborhoods are supposed to be extremely haunted. They have some fantastic ghost tours there, and the town and battlefield have their own sort of aura about them, even without hearing the stories. I went on a ghost tour one night with a friend of mine, and at one point in the tour, we arrived at a creek on the edge of town. The story, as told by our guide, was that on the second day of the battle, a group of wounded Union soldiers had taken refuge in the creek bed which was dry in the middle of summer. Many of them were badly injured and unable to move. Unfortunately, a summer storm came through and it began to rain heavily, flooding the creek red and drowning all of the wounded men. Not one of them survived, according to the tale. Well, it was nighttime when I stood there and pitch black. I hung back as the tour group moved through the next stop and looked around. 
There was a lot of long grasses and and cattails growing along the creek now, and I decided just for fun to take some pictures of them in the dark. I had the flash on, and of course, I made sure that there was no one in front of me or around next to me at the time. I didn't really expect anything, but figured, eh, why not? The next day, I was home looking through my tour photos, and one of the pictures I had taken of the creek, you can see the reeds and the cattails very clearly lit up from the flash. Floating above them in the upper corner of the picture, dim but still clearly visible, was a face. It was a side view of a man's face, and you could easily make out the blue cap and the front of a blue collared coat with yellow buttons. The forehead, eyes, nose, and a part of the chin, as well as what appeared to be dark hair under the cap were very distinct. I remember again that this face is floating above all the plants in the creek and while it's not transparent it doesn't seem to be lit up by the flash. The other two photos I took of the same spot within seconds of each other had nothing in it. The blue military looking coat and cap made me wonder if this could have been an apparition of a Union soldier hanging around the spot where he tragically drowned. I showed the photo to a few other people without pointing out anything to them, and every one of them immediately noticed the face. The third story here was told to me by a friend of mine who hails from Michigan. So I'm not going to include hard details because I'm getting this story secondhand, and I don't want to name names. My friend gave me permission to share the story here. She was in a sorority during undergrad years, and one of the sorority chapter houses had a ghostly legend attached to it. Apparently, a former sister had graduated and returned to the university years later as a professor. I'm not sure of the details, but she was brutally murdered in her home one night, and I don't think the killer was ever caught. Since then, the sorority house, where she had spent much of her time in her life, had been the site of disembodied footsteps, doors opening and closing, lamps turning off and on by themselves, Generally, only when one of the sisters was alone in the house at night, she claims that many of the sisters she knew had experiences like this. One day, a visitor from one of the sorority's national councils came to visit and stayed at the house. Not being from the local area, she decided to do some sightseeing in a nearby city and brought her GPS with her. This was several years ago before everyone had a GPS on their phone. She kept the GPS in her room at the sorority house that day and used it to navigate the city. On her way in, she experienced no problems and found her destination without difficulty. On her way home later that night, she plugged in the address of the house and soon noticed that her return route bore no resemblance to the one she had taken earlier in the day. After many unfamiliar twists and turns, the GPS told her she had arrived at her destination. The problem was she had not arrived at the sorority house, but at a cemetery. After messing around with the device and re-entering the address, she finally found her way back to the sorority house, explained to one of her hosts what had transpired. Upon revealing the name of the cemetery, she was informed that it just so happened to be the one that the murdered former sister was buried in. I hope you enjoyed these stories, and of course, you have my full permission to use them if and whenever you like. Keep up the good work. I'll send in a few more soon. Joanne S. I really need to do an episode on Gettysburg. Yeah, you do. You're not the boss of me. (laughs) Also, I think someone should do uh, like a compilation book of like haunted universities and stuff like that. So literally all of them. Well, but you know, like their tales and stuff like, I don't know, more folklore kind of stuff like urban legends. You know that movie. (laughs) I was going to say, what a novel idea. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding. You actually better uh, copyright, patent, whatever that idea. (laughs) 
<laughs> Somebody's going, oh, you see, that's a good idea. <laughs> that's why you're the ideas girl and I'm the execution girl. Well, you know what I mean. Yeah. I execute the ideas. I don't, I'm not an executioner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> also, maybe that spirit wasn't not a fan of PDA. It was just not a fan of that person and was like, boy, bye. True. But you know what, though, about like the sorority thing? Like, why would that person have come back to the house? Well, I don't know. We need to do a Ouija session no, and we don't. see. But you see what I'm saying, though? Like, I've never understood that. Like, when you have stories like that, it's like, yeah, but like, why would they come back there? Well, it just depends. Like, I feel like if they had a really good time there or something, like that was the best time of their life, mm-hmm. they would go back there. Maybe. Or if something really tragic happened and not just, or not tragic, but like traumatic. Because college is hard and there are definitely some traumatic stuff. And so maybe, I don't know, like the emotions get there. <laughs> Whatever. I'm just saying it could happen. You come from a third party um, observer with no particular interest in the matter. <laughs> yeah. College is hard. I mean, so I've heard. <laughs> it's very emotionally traumatic. I mean, I've heard. You know where I would haunt on our college <laughs> campus where we ate yeah the comments for that soft serve though it's not there anymore oh that's right never mind i wouldn't haunt there <laughs> yeah you'd just be haunting nothing i mean it's still is it not food at all no it's not, no, food, it's at not all. food at all yeah. oh god that would be so sad damn just ruined my afterlife dreams i'm telling you i just know i'm gonna be one of those ghosts that ends up back at fucking work like that's going to happen to me Mm -hmm. oh my god and you're so judgy especially in ghost form oh my lord what i'm judging them not doing their job oh yeah that's yeah that uh, like that's not how i told you to do it i mean you not wrong about that Uh uh-huh all right the next one hello ladies i just want to say i started listening to your podcast like no less than early this morning september 19th 2021 Yes, I'm adding the date to be petty and funny. Hopefully more funny. Well, look, even if it was petty, everybody loves that because they want to know where we are in these stories. (laughs) So it works out. It's a win-win. I am thoroughly enjoying everything that I hear from you guys. Although the story I'm going to share with you isn't so elaborate or intense as the other stories you share, I still feel the need to send it to you. I apologize if I don't add much pizzazz to my story. I'm sure you guys will fill in the blanks for me. For reference, and to build a timeline, I am now 29. Sorry if the timeline's a mess. This is really hard to remember a lot of the details because I was so young. All right, let's bring this bitch back to when I was in the fifth grade. This is probably one of my only memories I have from the fifth grade. Aside from the time that I like ruined a new classroom carpet and my teacher totally grilled me for it. Also, any typos are because I'm using speech to text. Are you me writing this? All right. I'm fast asleep. I don't even remember how old I was. I'm thinking 11. Anyways, I'm fast asleep, minding my own damn business. And I want to say approximately 4 or 5 a.m. I hear what sounds like a really loud car backfiring at least three times, maybe more. I really wasn't too concerned because I instantly fell back asleep. When I woke up was another story. Half of my street had been taped off because apparently a drug deal had gone wrong and the buyer shot the seller, which was a neighbor that was only three houses down from me. 
three fucking houses away from me. I had to literally walk halfway around my neighborhood just to get to school because my neighbor's front yard was taped off and the officers wouldn't let me cut through to go to school. My mom was unable to take me to school because my two other siblings have autism and it was just such a huge hassle to pack them both up. She did call the school to let them know that I would be late, which is really cool of her. Thanks, Mom. Anyways, that doesn't stop there. For the next almost eight years, every single person that lived in that house would move out. I can't even keep track of how many people rented that house from the original homeowner. And eventually, the most current resident had been there six plus years now. I don't even remember if they disclosed that information with the previous renters. And it wasn't until a fire in the neighborhood a couple of years ago did the current homeowners learn of the death because I ended up telling the woman. The most notable resident prior to the current ones I remembered was a gentleman that had lived there for about four and a half, maybe five and a half months. I was walking one day with my neighbor, redacted name, and this was roughly, sorry, and this has roughly been over three years after the death of the guy, but the gentleman currently living there was out front with his dogs and a U-Haul. I said, wow, you lasted longer than the other people, and of course he had no idea what I was talking about. He asked me what I meant, and I told him, you don't know? I proceeded to tell him about the other people that have lived in the house and exactly what had happened when I was a kid. He was absolutely amazed and not in a good way. His dogs had been urinating by the front door since the day they moved in. If they didn't go out in the front yard on a daily basis, they would freak the fuck out. They had to be out there and I only wonder if it's because the guy is still there. He also mentioned that they would howl at all hours of the night and constantly be sitting by the front door. Which leads me to the next part of my story. This is probably about five years ago from today's time, so I would be 24. I was talking with an old friend who used to live here in my hot state of Arizona. She was talking about the old house that she lived in and there were a few things that occurred when I had stayed the night that ultimately led me to not stay in the night there ever again. Because I was scared shitless. The weird things that would happen at night in that house, picture the ceiling fan, it has two cords to pull on, one for the light and one for the fan itself. Now imagine hearing those click intermittently every 10 to 15 seconds, every few hours of the night. The light in the living room would constantly be turning on and off and redacted name slept with her door open and so you could see the light down the hallway of her bedroom. There was a time where the microwave was turning on by itself. I really have no words for this next part because we unplugged the damn thing and it still turned on for like four fucking seconds. Of course, I'm laughing. I have no idea of the shit that's really going on around me. And when I link the timeline, all that stuff is happening about a year and a half after my neighbor's death. So we're talking about the stuff going on, 24-year-old me, and I mentioned to her that for the longest time until I moved out of my parents' house, which is when I was 20. So from maybe the age of 12 to the age of 20, I kept seeing this face in the middle of the night. It was distinctly a male's face and I have never really put the two together until I talked to my friend this day. I would be woken up from dead of sleep knowing that when I opened my eyes, there was going to be a translucent guy, just his head staring at me. 
It didn't matter if I covered my face, if I was looking at the wall, it was always there. She asked me if it was a black guy, and I was thinking, well, that doesn't really matter. There's some fucking weird ghost, and it's looking at me for a good portion of my life while I slept. And then it sort of clicked with me like, okay, he was kind of a black American, I guess. And the high-pitched noise in her voice when I told her was indescribable. She told me that the guy who lived down the street from me that was killed when we were younger happened to be the boyfriend of a woman whose kids she had started babysitting a few years after that. This woman had moved from that house to a house that was less than six houses down the same street that my friend lived on. Her boyfriend was the man who was killed on my street. All of these things jammed into one. I couldn't help but think if this guy is a troubled spirit who is linking all of this together. I'm not really sure what I would have to do with it, but I was only three houses away. I don't know how far spirits can travel, but if it was him, I'll never know. I don't know if all of that's connected either, but... Whew. Also, though, that like you heard it and we were like... Oh, going back to sleep and then you wake up and it's like oh there's a crime scene oh shit okay i don't like being woken up now Mm-mm. but i'll tell you the difference between your mom and my mom my mama would have woke me up after that and been like i think someone was shot let's go sit out on the porch mm-hmm. legit that's what we would have done she'd be like uh turn up that police scanner <laughs> yep i think they talked about something over there turn that police scanner up that was her that was our street. Go ahead. We had all the codes right above the police scanner. So we could be like, it's a 1026. And we would know like if we wanted to go try to find it or not. God, terrible, terrible. But family bonding, you know. But I could not sleep if those chains were being pulled. I do not like tapping. I do not like Carrie popping her gum. I don't like... <laughs> When Tiffany has acrylic nails, she taps the table. Oh, my God. She definitely does. And I do pop gum a lot. Oh, I can't handle it. I can't handle it. So that would have been like like dripping water somewhere to me. Yeah. Hi, you beautiful ladies. I am in love with your podcast. I listen to it every day at work. But then, as my luck would go, they banned streaming websites. So what does this large, extra large pizza do? Well, she signs up to be a Patreoner. Oh my god, it was meant for you to read this one. Right? Because they didn't write that. I just did that. Oh, I mean, shit. they wrote Patreoner, but I yeah. just did the fanfare. Oh, okay. I have the lowest membership right now. Once I'm done with all these recordings, I'll upgrade. So forgive me if I ramble, and this goes on and on and on, or if there are numerous one-on sentences. I tend to do that a lot. I have several stories, paranormal, true crime, and ambient stories. Well, sort of. I don't hear you do stories like this often, but here goes. Thank you for all you do. You help me when I've been at my lowest. I've listened to you ladies for a while now. But back in June, my loving girlfriend, Jen, contracted COVID. She was hospitalized on June 19th and still is and still is to the present day, September 20th, 2021. She was intubated for over a month and I was told that she more than likely wouldn't make it. She had a 2% chance of living per the doctor, but that doctor didn't know my girlfriend. When they told her they would have to intubate her, she says to them, so I can die? They told her, no, she wouldn't die. 
She sent me a text that said, I'm so sorry that I have to leave you. I love you. She then proceeds to tell me that she will make it. She's a motherfucking superhero, and that she is. While adjusting to living alone, I start to hear strange noises. We have dogs, cats, and ferrets, so I chalked it up to one of our many fur babies. As time goes on, Alexa starts to go off all on her own. She would say no and nothing else. Or she would say, okay, timer set. Yet, no TV or anything on. I unhooked her as it freaked me out. Eventually, I plugged her back in and she would say things like, let me check on that. Um, what? What are you checking on, Alexa? She eventually stopped. And then our video camera started alerting me of movement on my phone. I checked the video feed and there would be nothing. Not even one of the million fur babies. I'm starting to get more freaked out. My mom called me and asked if I was okay. And of course, I told her. She was in West Virginia and I'm in Arizona. What could she have done anyway? So we talked and she says, you're hearing things too, aren't you? And I'm like, yeah, how you know? She says to me, so am I. Side note, my mom and I have always been sensitive to these things. Like a sixth sense or heck, sixth, seventh or tenth sense. We had them all. Anyway, I explained to her what had been going on and she assured me that she didn't get a bad feeling. I thought it was Jen's spirit coming to me, preparing me for her to leave as she had stated. But the more I thought about it and heard my mom reassure me that it wasn't it. The fear and dread eased. Fast forward a few days later and her sister from another mother and her wife stops by the house. I, naked as always, go to the door and answer with a blanket wrapped around my body. They opt to just talk to me through the door since my small zoo was being bad. They brought me a chicken bake from Costco. Oh my God, best thing ever. As we're talking, we hear Jen come through the camera. We all kind of looked at each other like, what in the hell? I said, that was Jen. We heard it again. It couldn't have been her. She's in a medically induced coma. I believe it was Jen trying to come through to let me know she's okay. When she woke up from her coma, she was able to talk. She began telling me of her dreams she had while in the coma. She said she kept coming to me to let me know she'd be okay. She said at one point she was fighting the fight of her life and she heard me tell her not to go to the darkness. She said had she went to the darkness, she would have died. So now that I've bored you to death with this story, I'll start writing my other stories. Bored us to death? No, no, no. I'm like, I want to know more about her dreams. Me too. Tell me all the things. Yes. Darkness. So she didn't see a light. She saw dark. But like, I don't think <laughs> you that really means... You really are into this. You're like... But like, I don't think that means like light is good, dark is bad. Like, right. I, I think like it just was different, you know? Yeah. Well, I want to know everything. Tell me all the things. Yes. Also, I'm so sorry that she... So I wonder, like, how things are going now. Send us an update because we want to know if she, I mean, if she was in the hospital still then, did she yeah. have to go to rehab? Does she, like, can she walk in now? Like, I need, is she <laughs> yeah, OT. Like, I need to know all the things. <laughs> that would freak me out, too. Alexa freaks me out. You know, Alexa never tells me you're welcome when I say thank you. She's kind <laughs> of a bitch. Like, everybody. Oh, Everybody else is like, yeah, Alexa tells me you're welcome when I say thank you. And I'm like, I fucking always say thank you to her. And she never says you're welcome. <laughs> like, literally never. That's hilarious. It really makes me mad. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. The next one. Sinister sightings. It's a downer. Hey, ladies. Ashley from Iowa here. I've been binge listening over the past month and a half and only have 15 episodes left until I'm caught up. I want to drop a trigger warning for domestic assault. When I was 16 years old, I thought I was in love, but damn, I was wrong. 
I'd gotten pregnant and the dad said I was, quote unquote, trapping him. He pulled me out of the house by my hair, (gasps) beat me in the middle of the street. I thought I was going to die, but someone called 911. I had three broken ribs, eight staples in my skull, sprained my wrist, and had a mild concussion. On top of all of that, I lost my baby at 11 weeks. That cum dumpster came up to the hospital with my mother. The guy that beat you? Yeah. Where she convinced me to not press charges because who would love someone so broken? (gasps) Your mama said that? I stayed with him for three months after that and would go to school with black eyes or bruises. How old was she? One day, my teacher, Mr. Lyle, gave me information for a group that met at school that had speakers visit. I thought this was so weird, but little did I know he would help save my life. Walking into this tiny room were a handful of girls, and in their eyes, I saw me, defeated, broken, and lost. They were in a circle, and a lady was sitting with them, and I could feel her pain. The lady I met was Vicki Crompton Tedder. I still remember seeing her for the first time. She looked me in the eye, and I could see her concern. She patted the chair, and I sat down. Jenny, Vicky's daughter, was a freshman in high school. She was 14 years old and dating an 18-year-old named Mark. Vicky was not having it at first, but eventually came around to the idea. Jenny wasn't allowed to be in his car, so Vicky would drive them everywhere, and Mark never complained. He would follow the rules to gain Vicky's trust. They were typical kids going to the movies and school events together. They were infatuated with each other, and like with all narcissistic men, he became possessive. Jenny tried to break it off with Mark, but he refused. He would wait for her after class and show up randomly at her house. The more she pulled away from Mark, the more aggressive he got. She confided in her friends, and they weren't sure how to handle it, so she eventually got back with Mark, telling her mom that she wasn't sure if she even wanted to break up with him the first time. Mark would show up everywhere. The mall, a family reunion, dance practice. Homeboy was stalking her. Over the summer, she broke it off and told her mom she was done and wanted a fresh start. And wanted a fresh start. A few weeks later, she started her sophomore year of high school thinking that she would be done since Mark graduated the previous year and the calls and visits stopped. September 26, 1986 started normal. Vicky woke Jenny up for school before she left for work. Jenny was going to the homecoming game with her friends after school and she never made it. Vicky arrived home from work to find police cars, a fire truck, and an ambulance in front of her house. She saw Greg, her stepdad, who told her he found Jenny stabbed to death in their home. According to Mark, Jenny got off the school bus and was going to get ready for the homecoming game. She walked into the front door reading a piece of mail. What she didn't know is that Mark broke into the house and was hiding in the bathroom. He had been doing this for months, but today he confronted Jenny, stating she was cheating on him and grabbed the butcher knife from the kitchen. He stabbed her all over her back and chest over 66 times. Oh my God. Greg was pulling in and for the fear of being caught, Mark jumped out the window. After murdering Jenny, Mark showed up to her homecoming game with a date and was laughing and joking. During the trial, her friends talked about how he would push her, hit her, and leave threatening notes in her locker. 
The children thought it was normal relationship things and didn't tell anyone and the teachers claimed they didn't see it. Mark was sentenced to life in prison without parole and appealed his case in 2017. Luckily, Iowa is smart and denied the request. Sorry this is such a downer, but I wanted to share this for those women going through it or have friends or family that are. Speak up. People don't have it under control, and sometimes women are in so deep in it that they can't see a way out. I was lucky enough that after leaving Vicky that day, I packed my things and moved in with a family member to get away from him and my mother. I am now 17 years later able to look back on what I survived married to the most amazing man. I want the same for you, so please call 1-800-799-SAFE. That's 7233. Love you, ladies. That is so hard, but I'm so happy that you were able to move out in with a family member because like Carrie, when she like gasped and was like, your mother said that, that's so hard that you felt like, okay, well, this is normal. You're right. And you went back with your abuser. It's a whole nother ball game when you're being abused and your safe place isn't safe. Yeah. So I don't even know how you navigate that. And also kudos to Vicky for going to high schools and talking to usually the people who are like, yeah, well, he's not that bad, you know, or you're like, yeah, okay, but he would never do that to me. You know, that kind of thing. Like, I don't know, but that's amazing that she did that. And because of that, you're here. Absolutely. People are resilient and can turn tragedies into a way of helping people, which is amazing. Okay, the next one. Hello, my lovely ladies. I've been binge listening to your podcast and I absolutely love it. I wanted to send in a true crime story for you from my hometown. This might be a long email, so apologies in advance. Trigger warning, child death. This all happened at my local secondary school I attended, but about 30 years before I attend. For some context, Miss A's marriage broke down and her friend, we will call her Miss S, and Miss S's husband tried to help her cope with this, but Miss A wanted to get closer to Mrs. S's husband and began to hate Mrs. S due to this. Backstory, in April of 1986, a teacher, we'll call her Miss A, went to school for her normal day of teaching. The day was fine and then she went home for her lunchtime break, except she had a different plan for her lunch break. Instead, she took an axe and went to Mrs. S. house, where she murdered both Mrs. S. and her eight-month-old daughter. She hit Miss S. three times with the flat of the axe until she went to the floor, then hit her ten more times in the face. The little one was killed with a single hit. She got back in her car, drove back to the school, and continued teaching until the school day ended. No one saw her enter Mrs. S.'s house, but the police began to suspect something, so they set up an undercover operation, and she was caught trying to dispose of the axe in her rubbish. She had chopped off the handle from the axe head and was trying to burn it before putting it in the rubbish. This was later collected by police disguised as bin men. When she found out they had the axe handle, she took off to her daughter's house and showed her the axe head she still had. The daughter called police, and she was arrested. She was put in prison, tried to claim diminished responsibility, which the court did not accept. Sorry if this email was super long. Love from England. And remember, creep it real and try not to get scared. Karis. What? That is... What? Yeah, whoa. Okay, not the thing with Candy, 
That was in Texas. You knew as soon as they said rubbish, it wasn't what you were thinking. <laughs> yeah. I was like, that ain't from here, girl. <laughs> no. <laughs> I was like, oh, very proper. But yeah, and she was like doing Sunday school or something. But I don't understand how people do that. Like do something so heinous and so brutal and then... Just go about their damn day? Yeah. I don't get it either. And to kill the child. Like just leave the child. Like, you didn't have to do that. Just just fucking leave the child alone. Yeah. Like, that child was young enough that they're not going to remember anything. And right. we talked about this exact same thing with another case. And it's like, no, you're just a terrible person. I mean, aside from the fact that you just murdered somebody. But you're just taking it a step too far. Because, I mean, like, truly, that is, you did not kill that child because they're a witness. That child wasn't going to draw you in a sketch. That kid right. didn't even remember shit. Also, like how Vicky's, the mom, she was talking about Mark, the abusive ex from the last story, Mm -hmm. how he went to the homecoming dance. Right. To the homecoming game and had a date. Absolutely. Like nothing fucking happened. Yeah. And I'm like, you literally just murdered. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, my God. Because they didn't want to be with you. But yet you're cool with it. And you're having your cake and eating it fucking too. Mm -hmm. Because you can be with whomever you please. But they can't. Right. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Besides y'all. We love y'all. Yeah, but you get the point. All right. The last one. Hey, y'all. I absolutely love you beautiful ladies, the podcast, and the Creepster community. I discovered y'all through my cousin last year, September of 2020, and cannot wait for more. Already binged the podcast during my long days of making smiles. Sorry if this is long. I have many more to share, so here it goes. I'll call this one Not Our Nephew. Real quick, what do you think they mean by making smiles? That they're a dentist or that they're a photographer? Uh, Same. I was like, are they, I thought, I was like, do they work? Are they like a dental hygienist? Are they a photographer? Teacher? Clown? Are you a clown? I mean, a a, a dancer? Oh, yeah, that, mm, that could be making someone smile. Okay, go on with your story now. Okay, tell us what you do, please. <laughs> okay, the story is not our nephew. My now husband and I were staying the night at his mom's house. His nephew was just five years old at the time. We would borrow him and take him to do fun stuff. So it wasn't unusual that he wanted to stay the night with us. To give you an idea of the layout, the front door opens into a small living room. Then from there, it's a kitchen Off to the kitchen on the left is the guest bedroom. We rented movies and had snacks well into the night. We were ready to retire to our room when we found him asleep in the recliner. We decided it was best to tuck a blanket around him and leave him there in the living room. In the night, my husband was awoken by a small child in our bed, felt the top of his shaggy hair. My husband first thought our son was there. Then he remembered that we didn't have him that night. So now, fully waking up, remembering this, it was our nephew, Will. It was then that we saw him all of a sudden at the end of the bed. I'm now opening my eyes half awake, thinking he had tried to come find us after having a bad dream. I was talking to him and reaching out for him. My husband then grabbed me and stated, that's not Will. What? I turned back to the boy, still with my arm outstretched, and he was gone. Confused and now fully awake, we jumped up, ran into the living room, finding our nephew fast asleep under the blue light of the TV. There is no way anything could have moved that fast without us seeing it. 
it was one of those moments when you're like, you just saw what I saw, right? It still gives us goosebumps recounting this experience. This is why I don't want kids. Um, one of 875 million reasons. <laughs> oh my gosh. Like, if someone in the bed with me said, that's not so-and-so. Like, if I thought Marley was coming up and they're like, uh-huh. that's not Marley. Like, uh-uh. That reminds me of that urban legend that's like the girl would let her dog lick her hand under the bed or whatever and it was like that's not your dog or whatever (laughs) terrifying wow yeah i don't want any part of a real life urban legend no thank you Mm -mm. nope i will pass on that Mm -hmm. i will pass out fainting goat and just ask colby i am not easy to pick up because he had to at the chinese buffet when i sprayed my ankle yesterday (laughs) true story true story (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank y'all so much for sending all of these stories in. We love them all and can't wait to hear more. And y'all don't think like y'all always act like y'all bothering us sending these stories in like, oh, sorry. I know I'm giving all. No, we like to know all this stuff. So keep them coming. Aparanormalchicks at gmail.com. And remember, creep it real and and don't don't get get scared. scared.